Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Monday night, we are back. Trio in full effect over here. I am your host, as always, Timuchin here in Chicago. And yes, it is freaking time. I can start. There is a little bit of snow on the ground. More importantly, it's way too freaking cold for my liking. Uh, so let the bitching commence. Uh, it is getting a bit too cold for my liking. I guess in some ways, shouldn't complain as much for end of November that it's didn't get cold until then but still freaking cold not me no likey uh and galley is with us as always galley what's happening yeah i'm i'm all for bitching about the cold even though i have to say it's been pretty nice here on western massachusetts the last couple days but they are calling for some snow tomorrow and possible snow overnight the next couple days so as soon as they start forecasting there's a chance for snow i know that i'm done with positive weather updates for the rest of the it's downhill from here like i say i guess we made it to december it's not too shabby about complaining a man who does not look at the calendar to complain <laughs> is 24 7 365 is with us Victor, what's happening it's fine i mean i still get a little bit annoyed with my hawaiian client because i can never tell if they've got a stock zoom background or it's like actually outside their office <laughs> it, 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 it looks exactly the same when they're not using the stock zoom background so that's my that's my weather complaint for the day yeah, that's the worst i think when people can rub it in and they have like the nice weather to go along all the way so we'd rather have everybody suffer with us over here speaking of suffering it's time for trivia uh so let's get you guys to suffer over here i got a good one again it's like a street old if you will uh of good trivias over here i do want to spend some time talking about him today there's a lot of talk about him that i'm like baffled about over the last couple of days is trent so here is a question trent has played 288 games which is actually ridiculously high i feel like for liverpool i'm not counting the youth games uh he has a total of like 19 appearances that way but 288 appearances for liverpool bickler give me a number of goals and assists for trent in those 288 games God. Uh, Galley is like playing. Go. There. He's like, I'll wait and I'll take one under. <laughs> I, oh, I'm definitely taking, I'm definitely taking whatever number. I'm going one over or under, depending <laughs> on how ridiculous it is. I'll go 24, 20. I'll go 24 goals. Um, I don't know. I, I a lot of assists. I, I'll go like sixty-five assists, which seems well. Okay, you said twenty-four and sixty-five. Galley, yeah. what do you have? James has six and fifty. Well, I have a lot more than six. I he's got double-digit goals. I think I think he's at like fourteen or fifteen goals. Um. I get pissed because I've heard the goddamn record so many times that him and Robbo go back and forth on about the Premier League assists, and I still don't remember what the hell it is. So yeah, I'm going to say uh, – I'll say 15 goals, and I'll say 47 assists. Damn, you guys went low on these assists, man. 
uh well here's the answer for you guys <laughs> shelton says i guess we can get steven gerard bj hey, brian correct bj the stat man 13 goals 55 assists says bj brian don't doubt me <laughs> if he had given me 30 more seconds i probably would have just paused and said steven gerard so he can always be an answer for trivia by the way even if it even if the question's about trent total goals is 17 in those 288 oh, games the assist is 75. man is i was going back and forth between 18 and 24 for goals yeah so we're in the ballpark that's not too shabby i guess uh you guys went really low on the assist i thought if anything i thought the assist guesses would be above the number is what i was guessing when i was looking at the numbers but yes so 288 games he's played for us on the top level 17 goals 75 assists so far uh pretty impressive if you think about it in terms of like a right back numbers but still uh james says he was yeah unfortunately not uh but hey it's a for efforts uh so this is the part of the trivia that i personally like is the fact that people are not even close okay so let's talk about the game obviously we're going to spend most of the time talking about the game but i do want to touch on the injuries and see what you guys think and obviously we'll look ahead for the week coming up over here and like kind of maybe if you have time to peek at the schedule as well so galley let's start with you we did talk about in the pre-match and stuff like that but we saw the lineup i don't think we had too many complaints right when we saw the starting 11. uh if i gave you the opportunity to go back and redo the lineup because i think we can all agree that the midfield we did get overrun and nobody in midfield really covered themselves in glory how would you do the lineup for midfield? I mean, to be totally honest with you, I don't know that I, I mean, hindsight, knowing that Curtis Jones is going to give us a performance like four years ago when he wasn't, you know, when we were all arguing, he wasn't good enough. If you're asking me that, then I would have definitely not started Curtis Jones because he was a pissed. <laughs> um, but I, I, again, I don't know that on the run of play and what I've seen and leading up and what Klopp has asked of his midfielders and what we've gotten, I'm just starting to come to grips with the idea that there needs to be a little bit of adjustment in where Sobislai is and what he's doing on the pitch. Because for me, as bad as Jones was, we got better when he came off, but we got better because we started putting Sobislai in different spots. And when I thought we got much better when Sobislai came off later in the match. So I, I actually think that both of them were like 1A and 1B. And that's a scary proclamation when McAllister was no good either. I, Bigler, you were not on the pre or post, so I don't know like what your take was when you saw the lineup <clears throat> originally coming out. But, you know, along with that, I'll ask you the same thing. Like, how would you change it now? Um... I mean, I agree with Galley. Like, this is the midfield we're married to, right? This is Klopp's preferred midfield three. I think the scary thing is that this is, like, game three or four on the run, at least where all three of them have been pretty dreadful. So, for me, like, I mean, I personally, like, we can talk about this more moving forward, but, like, I, I really think that, like, I'm at a spot where, like, to me, I don't know how you keep Gravenberch out of this lineup anymore. Like, I don't. Because he like any every time he comes on, he makes everybody around him better. Like not only is he performing at a high level, but everybody around him seems to be positively influenced by what he brings. So like I think Gravenberch is the one inclusion that I would say 
from the out I could have made a shout for. But I also think like I also would have said, well, jo- like Jones has, has made the case to be the guy, right? Like that, that I mean, unexpectedly so. So I don't think – I think this just is what it is right now. Now I would say like going forward, I think we've got a real scenario where like my preferred midfield is like right now I would sit all three. And like I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I think Endo should be starting matches – like until proven that we don't need him to be a true six. Like I, I and that's probably an unpopular opinion, but I would have Gravenberch, Endo, and I'd have Gakbo in, in my midfield three. Hmm. See, I was going to mention that. One of the reasons but... I asked that is because I do see a lot of, because of probably Mac's performance, and I still say I think we can get away with Mac as your six maybe this week coming up against Fulham at home. Uh, but in these games like this, I don't think you can. Having said that, though, Gally, I mean, Ando, like, when he came in afterwards, he did relatively well. He put in a couple of tackles. One of them he got the card for. I guess my biggest fear would be while he does more of the defensive midfield moves and the tackles, I almost feel like if he starts that game, either he has a yellow by 15th minute, 20th minutes, and possibly a red later moving on. I just don't know like his rash tackles and him being maybe slightly behind pace that causes those tackles would be costly in a game like this. So sadly, I just do not see an alternative to Mac right now. I know what Bickler is saying, but I just worry that Ender would be red carded by halftime. I I don't, I mean, I'm not as worried as you are, but, seeing how cards are flying in English league this year and the way Endo's tackles are flying since putting that red uniform on, um, you probably got, you're probably onto something there. I think my bigger thing is, is I don't put it past Mac to pick up a bad yellow in the first 15 minutes of every match either. Cause he puts himself in a position where he, he like has to. And, and I think there's the difference. We've talked about this, right? I think Endo's not afraid to chop someone down and pick up a yellow 10 minutes into a match. I think McAllister tries to avoid defending whenever he can. And that's kind of a scary thing when you are the holding number six. I mean, there was a time where they were playing diagonals and they were just absolutely attacking Trent's area. And there was one of them where McAllister runs back. And I think it was you in the Timuchin might've even said in the discord channel, you're like, I don't know the angle McAllister just took. He's running towards the sideline. Like at one point he's running over his shoulder and then he goes to the left and then Doku just goes right by him. And it was like, granted it was too much space being left open. He just never looks comfortable running backwards and defending. And I know no one is, but you have to be able to do that if your job is to break up play through the midfield. And I just don't know that. I think that we are papering over the cracks. And the longer that we keep this experiment going, the harder it's ever going to be for Liverpool supporters to actually see McAllister do the role that they hired him to do. And I actually think, to Paul's point, grabbing Birch, moving up the ladder, Sobaslide, Jones, like this midfield could almost evolve itself past McAllister purely because Klopp was forced to play him at the six for the first nine months he's at the club when he shouldn't be there. 
Yeah, I I was the one actually who said like what in that situation that I could just see the terror in his eyes from the TV because he was just like, right. oh my god, it's Doku and it's just me. And honestly, like he tried and he couldn't get the foul with the yellow card. Like he wasn't even that fast. But to be fair, I don't think Fabinho is keeping up with Doku either. I no. think one thing we were talking about this this morning actually with the polish prince the brazilians are better at doing these subtle dirty technical fouls tactical fouls uh whereas like ando makes it a bit too obvious mac can't even get there to do the foul and stuff like that i mean i guess when you evaluate and you say you would bench all of them beckler is that in some ways fair to mac because he is kind of playing where he should not be naturally <clears throat> no i don't think it's fair to mac i mean but you know and i i think like we did this thing where we 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 hate like you know i've in the past i've been pretty critical of Jurgen, and i think we made a concerted effort to heap praise on him for like getting this so right so early bringing in these players and get basically like uh completely rebuilding a midfield in a way that made this team click right away. Right. I, I, I think we also have to be critical when it's not working. Right. And I, I think like just as we, we have to credit the fact that he brought these players in and made it work off the bat. I think we, we need to understand that it's not working right now. And I think the criticism with Jurgen is, is that he's slow to change it up when there's clearly a need for the change. And so like, I think that's where we're at. We're right back to a sort of Achilles heel where there needs to be a change and we're not seeing it. Um, I don't think it's fair to Mac. I, I, but I don't know, you know, I don't know what the alternative is when you bring in somebody for that position um, and you don't have the faith in him for the big spots, right. Or you don't have the faith to continually put him in. Like I'm sure if you were to ask Matt, he'd rather be out there getting the minutes than like, sitting on the bench waiting for a rotational spot in the preferred spot, a position, you know? So yeah. like, I'm sure he'd rather be out there just playing ball. So um, I do think it's unfair to him. I just think it's the reality of the situation. And, and I think, I think that all three of these players, Jones, not as much because he hasn't been as regularly involved, but I think McAllister and Soboslai both need like a quick timeout just to reset. Yeah, it's odd because I don't know, like, I would love to ask Mac. Is Mac thinking, like, to himself, I'm taking one for the team. We don't have a six, so I'm playing six eventually kind of a deal. Or is it, like, a scenario similar to what Bickler is saying where, like, I don't care if that's where the minutes are, I'll play there. Because, obviously, there's a bit more competition for the other spots with Jones and Gravenberg, obviously, along Saboslai. So do you think then, Galley, because Klopp does these experiments until – it's way too obvious it doesn't work. And I don't think we're there yet, obviously, looking at where we are in standings and stuff, right? Um, but then he's done this before where we played midfielders as center backs and stuff like that. And at the end, he was like, God damn it. Okay, this is not working. Who's a center back? Okay, why don't you go to center back? Who's a midfielder? Why don't you go to midfield and stuff? Do you think eventually we'll come to a point where he says, okay, who's a CDM? J Japanese guy. Okay, why don't you come in and play CDM then? Or... Is he going to keep doing this until we do get someone he trusts? He trusts Mac no, I think more he, at the moment. I think he's playing McAllister at the six until either Bastich is healthy or Tiago's there to play in some form of like a double pivot with Gravenberg, to be honest. 
That's what I honestly think is happening. I don't, and, and I've just come to grips with the fact that he sees Endo as a substitute game changing holding player to help come shore up a game. He, he's basically, Milner. he's Milner. That's, I was just about to say, he appears to me to have taken the role of James Milner, which was the role that I wanted Henderson to take if he was willing to accept it. He wasn't. So we went and signed a guy, and that's probably the type of guy you sign, one who's 30-something years old, doesn't demand minutes, and takes it for $10 million. I misread it. I thought they were signing more of a stopgap player to play in the sixth in yeah. certain scenarios. And to Paul's point, I do think Mac needs to be sat down. Like I would, I would give this midfield a refresh, but I wouldn't be opposed to taking a game and then putting Mac in at the eight and playing him in Sobeslai's spot and seeing what you get out of him when he's a little yeah. bit more forward and seeing how he plays. Maybe Endo plays better with a guy like McAllister next to him compared to Sobeslai or compared to Jones. You know, the one in all of this that keeps getting left out, no one talks about, is Harvey Elliott, who's quietly having maybe the most consistent of midfield seasons of anyone in our midfield. He's basically giving you a plus performance in every instance he's played, except for the one start he got when he was asked to play with a bunch of guys who hadn't played all year long and try to make everything work. So I, I just think that we're a player short. We knew we were a player short. And we we're going to be that player this. short. Go ahead. You can, you can bring that up. That's actually a good thing to bring up to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, James says, with two points off top, we played away to Chelsea, Newcastle, Spurs, Brighton, and City. Yeah, definitely have had the harder part of the schedule. Uh, what isn't working? So what isn't working is, is that we've won one match in our last four games. That's what's not working, including a loss to Luton Town, or a draw to Luton Town, okay. we dropped points, and a loss to a team who's in a relegation battle in League One. That's what's not working. So, like, I, yeah, the standings are what they are, but, like, Let's maybe get ahead of it. I don't know. Like, like, <laughs> I don't. I don't think we need to drop more points to say to to, to point at the table and be like, oh, now there's a problem, because I think it's a pretty obvious problem if you're watching what's happening. I think we're seeing. I mean, I guess my point is we are seeing that this midfield, the way it is at Mac at six, especially, I guess, uh, and we'll talk about like the whole trans situation too. But I think the Mac at six thing, it just is not effective against the better teams. Uh, the Chelsea was all the way in the beginning of the season. Chelsea still doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, so like on one week, off one week, depends on how people do. Um, I think, I mean, you can argue that Newcastle was like a mini miracle. It wasn't like we dominated in the midfields and that's why we did it. Uh, Spurs game, we know. And then City. And while I do love the optimism and I keep hearing this, right? Like you look at the schedule, I'm happy with where we are with standings and what we've done so far, but that's not really based on the schedule because I can never look at this team and say, for example, this week, Fulham, that's three points, This that, that three points, and then we'll see what happens when we play Arsenal kind of a deal because we just lost point against Luton, which if I asked James, I'm sure a month ago, he'd be like, that should be an easy three points, and then we would move on, but that's not sadly how this team works. So can't really look at the schedule while on paper i think it looks good definitely that we've gotten a lot of tough places to play at like newcastle and stanford bridge and stuff like that but it's not a guarantee that okay it's going to be a lot better now that when we play the other teams get the three and the point to this is is and i understand they've dropped points too but we can't assume 
that City or even Arsenal are going to continue to drop points at the rates that they've dropped them so far. And I understand James is like, hey, we played at Chelsea, Newcastle, Spurs, Brighton, and City. And outside of a brace in stoppage time from a maniac and them collapsing at Newcastle, we dropped points in every single one of those matches. Yeah. Three of which from leading positions. So I, I you know, I, I, I struggle with the idea that I agree we have played the toughest of all the schedules. We're right there with City. We need to stay within touching distance. But to Paul's point, we haven't played well for five weeks. We are about to go into a brutal stretch of five, six, seven, eight weeks worth of matches and fixtures. We have, you know, a League Cup quarterfinal tie that we should be able to navigate our way through with, was it Leicester or whoever it is in the next round or lower, is it West Ham? We, we have in the League Cup. And then from there, we'll, we'll end up with a double-legged League Cup tie that adds two more games in January that we can't afford because that's when we're starting to play without Endo and Mo. So, I mean, we're, we're, we are going into one of the busiest times of the year, and we're starting to see some kinks in this really deep armor. So I don't think you're saying that it isn't working, but I think if you're not a little bit critical of what we're seeing on the pitch – and some of the results and the way that we're grinding matches out against teams like Luton, I think you have to question that going into the festive fixture period. Because if not, you're just you're it's that revisionist history thing, and you're going to end up looking at it in March, going, "Oh yeah, City won 17 in a row, and we're 12 points back." Yeah, I and mean, that's what Brian says. The drop points are going to appear once City turns into a machine in the second half of the season. And you know, I mean, I guess it's possible that we can turn into a machine in the second half of the season. Maybe you get like a number six, or you fix this issue one way or the other or things get figured out and the team i mean this is still an only like a two three month old midfield that's playing together maybe you figure it out and we turn into a machine one way or the other i don't think you say okay it's time to panic let's do something but you gotta understand like where the improvements need to be to be able to get better because you know yeah like you said this is the time of year where you're going to start getting injuries we already have like two key ones especially ali's injury is really really important i think and yeah, I mean, the point losses, we don't know if they're going to be losing points. Regardless, though, I think at the end of the day, Bickler, I think we can agree that this is a good point earned. Uh, not only because of the balance of the game was not really too much in our favor, but either way, going away to City and stealing a point from them at the end of the day is a pretty decent result. Yeah, and I think this game was, you know, kind of what we talked about last chat when we were on Monday night. It's like... You know, we talked about this was going to be the early match coming off international break. We all thought it'd probably be a low-scoring draw and that it'd be an ugly – the goals would be ugly, be scrappy. And that's essentially what it was. I mean, it is a good result. I think I think when we look at it, I think there's some – I think we're okay with the draw collectively, right? I mean, I think everybody feels okay with that. I think where the disappointment is is that, like, we're used to – these box office matches, right? These wide open yeah. slug fests. And this just felt like Ali Frazier in a phone booth. Like it felt like two heavyweights that just didn't have the capacity to actually yeah. take this thing. Like they were just stuck on the rope. So I'll match. Is that you think? And here's another thing I was going to ask you actually, that's Gally. Cause we did talk about a little bit of in the post-match show that the fact that, I mean, when I look at this game, I think I still see that our squad actually in terms of depth, is actually definitely looks a lot better than City right now. Uh, but maybe the starting 11 quality, they might have us mainly due to 
people being there for a long time and having played together for a long time in that system while we have a fresher midfield. Do you think the game changed, as you said, like you were saying it earlier, like step by step as we made changes, things getting better. Do you think that was mainly due to the changes or just the fact that we were able to put in fresh legs that are quality legs and obviously they were not able to, so the game started changing slowly by surely? Or is it things that we figured out or just getting tired? I think that there's a combination of both of those things. I think we were figuring things out, and I think the manager made tactically really good changes. Like, I think everything Klopp did worked, right from yanking Jones off and, and you know, getting Gakpo on, um, from making the moves later in the match with Endo, from, you know, like ev everything Klopp did worked. Diaz, I mean, every single move, and I know Jota kind of forced the hand, which was unfortunate, uh, felt for him, but it, it still worked out. It was the right move to get Gravenberch and them on at the same time. I thought all the moves that he made worked. You know, Paul and I touched on this on the Premier League show. You know, I have a hard time sometimes with Pep because he whines about fixture congestion. He whines about too many matches. He whines about how they have to play the 7.30 or the lunchtime kickoff game with all the internationals. Yet he got half of his internationals to bow out of their country's matches. Then every one of them were fit and ready to start, and all of them played 90 minutes, and he didn't use a single substitute the entire match. None. Okay. So, like, yes – I think that we are a deeper side. I said that before. They're maybe the better first 11. I think we are a deeper overall squad. But I think this is where you start to realize what you miss when you're missing, you know, Kevin De Bruyne. You're missing John Stones. And by all accounts, I know John Stones was on the bench, but if John Stones was really available for that match, he would have started it and played it because he's one of his first names on the team sheet. So, I just think they're down, and, and then Grealish was unavailable as well, which, you know, happens. But I, I think Paul made this comment, and I'll let him expand on it. But he made this comment, and I think he might be onto something. This is the first time ever we've seen City almost allow their squad to become thinner in a year. It got thinner; more players left than they brought talent in. And I wonder if it doesn't have a little bit to do with the 115 charges hanging over their head. And knowing that more than ever, every dollar they spend and every number that they have to justify is going to be looked at. And they could only spend up to what they were so comfortable with being able to massage into an okay scenario. So they got Doku, they got Gvardiol, they sold a few of their players, but really they kind of balanced the books for the first time in a long time. And I wonder if that's why they weren't in on Lavia, even though they want Calvin Phillips out the door. Why they weren't in on some of these players we'd expect them to be in on Declan Rice, even though they needed the player for their midfield. Yeah. And they really, really miss Kevin De Bruyne is what it comes down to more. Than well, that. yeah. I think that was that yeah. player that, you know, anytime he got, I mean, I'm sure Holland misses him as well, because anytime he got the, I mean, I know if he, Kevin De Bruyne gets the ball, he has time to look up into the box it's like a oh shit kind of a moment because he's going to put the ball exactly where he wants go ahead Dipper. yeah no i was just going to say i think it's interesting like pep's comments like he got a little spicy when somebody asked him if De Bruyne would be making it back earlier than the the january timetable and he basically said like 
no, he's going to come back when the timetable is because he's not 20 anymore. Like, you know, like, and I, I think, I think they know, I think they know that De, De Bruyne is a quickly appreciating, uh, depreciating asset. And I, I really feel like this may be sort of the last sort of, I think the Bruyne is kind of in the swan song of his career, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get, I don't expect to see, I think if they get half of what that people know De Bruyne to be, I think if they get half of that version back, Pep's probably pretty happy with that. I think he knows that that's kind of dwindling. I mean, we looked at last summer when they had a positive net spend. Like, I think this has slowly been coming. And I think this is the slow death of a city squad with 115 charges in court right now. I really do. I feel strongly that, you know, they just haven't been able to uh, cover the cracks with quantity like they have in the past, where that if they missed, it's not a problem because they're so good at selling um, that they basically can offset it and then just keep the hits, get rid of the misses, supplement it, sell your academy players for four times what they're worth, um, which is what we used to be good at. Um, but I, I think I really do think that right now this is a team who really has one attacking coming, one attacking option coming off the bench. And then I think we're seeing what happens when that option is Jack Grealish. You run a 50-50 chance that he might have been at a club somewhere <laughs> in a DJ booth that he shouldn't have been in. Really, and this is pure speculation on my part. I just want to get that out there. I'm not breaking any sort of news. I just know that if you say Jack Graylish is sick, to me that sounds like hungover, just because I've managed retail teams long enough to know what that means. Yeah, I know. The moment I heard that, that's the first thing I heard about. Yep. I thought about too, and then I saw you yep. post on Discord. I was like, "Yep, that has to be." Hangovers are a bitch. Like illness yep. was just bad. Anand says KDB to Alatafar for some generational wealth. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's thirty-two years old. I mean, I guess he's been around for a long time. Shouldn't be shocked, but yeah, he's thirty-two, so those injuries are going to get worse and worse. He was never the most durable guy, anyway. But he was a quick healer. And yeah, like Pep says, it's just, just getting worse and worse. So let me ask you guys this, because obviously a lot of the talk afterwards, and you guys tell me if I'm just like over-the-top harsh, Angel thinks I am, uh, for Trent over here. Because uh, obviously he gets that great goal, right? But if he doesn't get that goal, Galley, are we talking about Trent? Like, Because everybody is like, this is why he should be midfield. This is why he should be like playing here and stuff like that. Whereas I'm looking at a guy who pretty much did like the laziest tackle I've ever seen from a defender in a long time in the build-up to that goal. And somehow everybody just kind of like pounded on the center backs. And yes, they should react a bit faster. But that goal to me is all on like a ridiculous lazy defending on Trent. Uh, it was. I mean, it, it, it's absolutely we'll talk about that now instead. If he doesn't get that goal on that game as one zero, do you think? I think we, I think we talk about it. I, I think that you know, honestly, it, it's really bad by Trent. It's just as bad by Sobislai as well. And he, for some reason, he skates on everything these days. Like I, I read someone today say they thought he was a man of the match for Liverpool. I, I literally was like, other than remembering him doing Olay and letting Ake look like Messi as he swept past him. I don't remember Sobosly doing a single thing in the match other than that, to be totally honest. Like, not one. I, 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 yeah, I, don't I, can, I, I was thinking as but, you were saying that, I'm like, yeah, I can't think of, I'm sure there was something, but I can't I exactly can't think of anything either. I, I, I genuinely think that he was decent. I, I know, I think um, James just mentioned, you know, that 
he was decent against Doku. He did play Doku at times pretty well. He had two or three really enticing crosses into the box in the second half as well that I thought both one that Gakpo should have got on, got to, and I thought another one that Shota just blatantly missed. Um, you know, this is this is the this is the natural thing, right? This is just what we do in this podcast. I just watch the comments come in. And we just like make excuses for the players we like and bang on the players we think are average. Um, yes, we've all said it. Jones was absolutely terrible. He wasn't any worse than Sobosly honestly was. And Sobosly's been bad for a month straight without getting a single bit of gripe from anybody or criticism. Um, his, he plays, Matouche said it best in Discord. He plays like a guy who doesn't believe there is a backup for him because he's the first name on the team sheet and he gets 90 minutes almost every time he goes out there. Um, it would be smart to start to rotate that midfield, in my opinion. I actually was agreeing. I thought Ake was the best player on the pitch. Okay, I think stop looking biggest, at comments. Just focus no, on trend. I focus, think my, focus on trend. But, but my <laughs> biggest – no, but where I'm going with this is, is this is my biggest problem the best player on the pitch was the right back who was actually playing like a right back with a fullback playing as a fullback. And that's why I have the issues with Trent. I think Trent gets pulled in this. You talk about it all the time. He gets pulled into areas where we want him to attack, which doesn't allow him to be in the positions he needs to, to defend. And then we get overcritical of his defending. And then we get these guys, these fanboys that want to apologize for him because he has a couple tackles on Doku going down the wing. Until we put him back to being a right back, I don't know that it's fair to judge him on the defending that he does. And that's my biggest issue. I think Klopp has made it to the point where it's almost like an enigma with Trent. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always 50% think he's great, 50% think he's terrible. And I yeah, just don't see, think that I we actually can balance I think it. That anymore. gives him an excuse, and that's maybe like where I don't know. Maybe I'm too harsh on it, but I don't think it's his positioning or whatever. I don't think, and that's why I don't want him in midfield because he's a lazy defender, and it doesn't matter where you are on the field. Apart, not only that tackle. If he did good against Doku, I think a lot of the credit should go. I think over there, if we were able to defend Doku, is a lot of credit should go to Mo for constantly dropping more than he did he does normally. And I think that's where you so most I should be at a bit of, bit of credit as well for like dropping back a lot on good defensive work. You didn't see a lot of him winning the ball, but you saw a lot of Doku having to pass it back, not wanting to take Trent on, and then the guy behind him on afterwards. I mean, I just feel like Trent's attitude towards defending, and I don't know if it will change or not, Bickler, because, I mean, I, I was talking about it this morning too. There's like a moment in the game, I think it's 60th minute, 65th minute, somewhere around there. It must have been after a set piece because somehow Costas is on, playing as a right back and Trent is playing on the left as a left back. So by default, City first goes left to Doku and they almost look like, look up at they're like, oh shit, wait, Trent is on the other side. <laughs> that ball gets cycled back. And what happens? Walker runs right behind them, and Trent is late, letting the run go through. I mean, that's what annoys me, and I don't want that player like that with that attitude playing midfield either because he's only going to get – like he's got this guy who's like wants to go forward and attack and stuff. Dude, you either got to be a striker 
or you have to defend one way or other. I think this is approach. I don't give it to positioning or where he is at, what we want him to do. It's how he tracks back, how he watches people, how he tackles. I mean, that tackle would get like an 80-year-old's ass chewed uh, in like U9 soccer that he did before the goal. And this is a pro player that we were saying the best right back in the world. And I feel like, Victor, he has the capacity, just not the attitude now, which I guess is more aggravating to me than not having the capacity. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think, I think there's a couple things with Trent that cause real issues, like from, from a supporter standpoint. And I think that's a, is we don't really know what Trent is supposed to be in the system. Like as supporters, we don't, I mean, we can look, we talk tactics all the time. I think casual supporters probably don't care as much about tactics as like nerds like me who really find it interesting. But I just think that like, when Trent was at its best, he had an identifiable role to the casual supporter. And I think I don't think that's bad. I think that's good because, like, you knew what you expected from him. You knew what the system was and what it was designed to do. And even if other teams knew it, they had a hard time stopping it. And I think, like, if we needed to make adjustments, that's great. But I think the fact that we don't really know what to expect or what, like – what he's doing game to game. I don't think that's some tactical like genius on Klopp's part. I think it's a fundamental piece that's broken in the system. And I'll go, I think that Trent is like 25 years old, living on the reputation of an 18 year old prodigy. And he's not yeah. that anymore. He's not an 18 year old anymore. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, if he wasn't English, I think he'd been sold already. I mean, maybe not with Jurgen because I think Jurgen marries himself to players, but I think any, I think most managers would have moved him because like right now, the fact of the matter is, is that he's incredibly like he would go for big, big money in the, in the market. Yeah. And he brings more problems than he does solutions into the side right now. But I think, you know, yeah, that's the thing. There's so much positive that comes from him. I just, that's why I kind of like went and looked at the numbers and I was like, am I just being too harsh? You look at the numbers that we were like talking about in the trivia galley. And I understand the like what Bickler is saying in terms of maybe he knew his role better when you know the fans knew where he would be, he knew where he would be and stuff like that, defending-wise. But the thing that gets to me, and that's why like the positioning thing doesn't make sense to me, is I don't care where you are on the field, you put a tackle in when a guy run by, runs by you. And if you get beat on that tackle, you get your ass back and you track that back. You don't watch to see if somebody is going to pick up the slack for you. Doesn't matter where the hell you are on the field. Doesn't matter what freaking position you are. If Mo beats gets beat on a press from the left back, who like maybe fakes the pass to the goalie and then goes up, I expect you know Mo to track that back, and he would to track that back to close that space again, not to be like ah oh, he got me, and then wait and sit. And I feel like that's what Trent does. It's so frustrating because. You got so much talent and so much positive, but and then this it feels like a little because it only feels like a focus issue because at times he can take somebody one on one and defend the hell out of him and everybody's like, see, he's a great defender. But I feel like it's only when he wants to be, which is the most frustrating part. No, and I I don't disagree with him. Before I think to Paul's point, when I made the comment about him knowing where he's supposed to be. We used to always say that our entire tactics were built around mm -hmm. our focal point being our creative right back. 
like our creative right back who would, you know, send balls in, who would create overlapping runs with Mo, who would, you know, create opportunities and cutbacks for midfielders to score goals. Like, and we took all of that away with this new formation. And I feel like in some ways we gave the kid a license. We gave the average supporter an excuse for his poor defending by taking him further away from the defensive position and putting more onus on the center back who has to cover the space for him. And we did what you guys were both always so afraid of, which is moving more into the midfield, which makes defending harder because now guys are running past you instead of with you. And he used to use his pace. So I, I very rarely, you know, really, very rarely do I ever say like really critical things about Klopp, like really critical. And I feel like this formation should have been something to help us try to capture lightning in a bottle and get last season, second half of last season into place. And we should have come back this year with the idea of, okay, great. Thanks for doing that. Qualifying us for Europe. We almost got, now we're going back to who we are. We're going to buy this player, do this. We're going to do what we do and, and, and build from it. And I don't know that they're doing that. And I don't know that Sobislai makes him better in front of him. I think there's still an awkwardness between him, Mo, and and mm-hmm. and uh, Dom at times where they don't know where they're supposed to be and who's making what runs. I think it's why Mo is more of a facilitator creating goals from wide because that yeah. used to be where Trent would be. Yeah. And now, and then what happens? People complain that Mo isn't scoring enough from open play. It, it's it. I think this is the problem until it really clicks. And it all looks like a like a like a concert and a machine again. I think we'll keep asking these questions, and I don't think there's any answers until Trent isn't required to play in that inverted position, unless like Klopp just believes the game is never changing from this. Oh, I don't know what an answer is, guys. The team is performing extremely well. It isn't having major problems, which major problems I can agree to. I guess we're one of the best teams playing from the midfield this season. While I kind of agree to that in terms of the potential that midfield has, I don't know if necessarily we're playing a lot better from the midfield. I don't know if I agree. We haven't in like two months. I mean, we haven't since. I don't think we played well from the midfield since like end of September. It's, it's been that long. Uh, and, and I think it started with the McAllister thing and now it's bled over to Soba slide, not doing well. And then this, I think, I think we've seen two or three matches where the on the run where three of them haven't performed well. And like we said earlier in the show, I mean, we've won once in four games. So like, it's, it's, it's not like we're not crushing this thing. <laughs> like, we no, were just- I think, and I understand like everybody is looking at standings. You're like advancing in that and stuff. I understand that, but I don't want to be that guy who's now says everything is great, right? And then the moment something goes wrong, starts suddenly like flipping around and be like, "Well, this midfield, we always need the number six and stuff." You don't want to flip back and forth. You just gotta call the negatives or the weaknesses as you see it, and not just look at the results and go off of the result. Because I don't think that's fair to the players either. So basically you're just gonna, at the end of the day, whatever the result is, I don't think that's fair to anybody. I know it's like result oriented business and everything, but I think it's more fair to see the weaknesses and pluses because at the same time, when you draw and when you lose, 
you gotta be able to see the positive performances and everything like that so you're not just looking at everything with a tinted glass of one way or the other i guess is where i'm at um so trends obviously at this age is not going to change we assume them bickler or when we say hey let's say we get somebody who's a number solid number six and i'll be honest if there's a solid number six I, he's i feel like he's gonna come in and be like what is this guy doing over here because i got this why don't you guys put him back where he's supposed to be on the right back kind of a deal do you think that would kind of say nope back to default settings you gotta track that runner kids kind of a deal or are we trying to go on to keep like playing around his weaknesses if you will i i mean i just i think i don't know what we're gonna do uh, i think at 25 you are what you are as a player generally speaking the players that develop like after 25 typically center backs right but yeah. they say from a scouting perspective for the most part a player is who that player is by 25 Right. I mean, you just don't typically see a ton of development, which I think is like, I don't know. We got into this conversation a little bit when we were comparing Darwin and Gakpo. Right. I just think there's different development paths. Trent has had so much exposure to big time football at such an early age that his development, I think, is an accelerated development compared to most players just based on when he got the time mm -hmm. in the first team. Right. Yeah, that's fair. So I don't think we've done him any favors recently but i think that if we're going to hang on to a player like trent because like i said to me like at this age with the way that I, it's an impossible situation because he's scouts at liverpool right yeah but i everything if he wasn't scouts at liverpool everything indicates smart asset to sell at this point we're not going to do that so what do you do with him i think you have to look at the entire entirety of his career the whole scope of it when he was at his best he was at his best when we were at his best, like, like as a, yeah. as a club, like right now, I think, I know there's a lot of moving parts to that. Was it because Trent was at his best? Was it because he had a world-class holding mid in there? Was it because he had a world-class midfielder who just lived in the underlap while he like did, you know, he moved up yeah. the pitch. I think it's probably all those things, right? So yeah. what do you do? I think you've got to get back to the identifiable, uh, the identifiable brand that Liverpool football was built in, in the like modern, urine era and i i really think that you have to have him back on the overlap i think you have to have him attacking but i still think you have to have a static back four one in which he doesn't fold into the mids and then you look at your six and we always talk about this with jurgen he doesn't adjust to his best players he he picks players and then fits them into his structure yes yeah. so then go back and prioritize players that fit that structure right like don't buy an attacking mid from fulham that you love like, I think you know, this has been a rare exception, right? Where he has tried to use Trent almost, whereas normally it'd be like, oh, he just doesn't fit, and then we would move on. I just I just think you've got to prioritize a, a world-class six at some point, and you need to prioritize a midfielder who understands and can do the underlap and do the things that a player like Jordan Henderson did, right? And as much as I love Soboslai for his work rate, his pace, his directness, the danger he brings into the, seat, the side, the leadership experience, he's not that player. He doesn't do those things that Jordan Henderson did and does well from a tempo standpoint, from a recycling of possession, all the things that people don't really appreciate about playing midfield, right? Like, so is that Gravenberch? 
Could be. I think it could be. I don't know. But I think I think that's the key to the whole thing. I think finding who that player is in this system and returning to that, I think is the key personally. So who is that player, Gally? Because I know uh, Brian was saying Gravenberg. Uh, Sabosla is there. Uh, and I would almost suggest maybe Mac, knowing he can do the I, I think it. I think it is Mac is that player. And I think that's when you bought Mac, in my opinion, you were buying him to hopefully he would play on the right, literally of a midfield. And, and, and I saw it and, and <laughs> you play oh, no, and you'd have Tiago on the left. <laughs> he no, looked in I mean, a different dimension we, where there's a healthy Tiago. So excuse me. When we but. bought Mac, when we bought Mac, the idea was we didn't know Sobosly was coming. We didn't know Graven Birch would be here. We got McAllister first and foremost. That was the first guy we signed. And in my mind, he was here to replace Jordan Henderson as the right-sided starting midfielder nice. with a chance that it could be Thiago on the left. I thought it would be Fab at the six. I told you all summer, I thought that Jordan Henderson was being told he was getting the James Milner role at this club. And and that's I think Matt could be that guy on the right-hand side. Gravenberg is- might be that guy. But here's the thing. This is the problem. Until Klopp has someone to displace him at the six, and until he gets it in his mind that he cannot start Sobosai every match, like this is still where those loyalties, those overindulged loyalties, and and I think it really comes down to he got caught up in this trend. He saw Arsenal doing it. He saw City doing it with the inverted tucked in fullbacks. He saw what they were doing with a guy like John Stones and how he could add an extra body in midfield and create a pass that others didn't. And he was like, I got the perfect guy for that. He just didn't realize that he was literally going to weaken like three different positions on the pitch by doing it. And he hasn't been able to balance that since. So I just, I, I struggle with the idea that he can't see it, but it's like, you know, he clearly just isn't listening to us three dopes. Do you think Sobosly was purchased with, a thought about him being a frontline player down the road, like a front three player, like a more. Yeah, I think he was bought to replace the guy on the right. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, and because I think that's the problem. Like, and this is why I've been such a such a advocate for Endo in because I think if you have Endo in and you move McAllister to that side on the underlap, I think that the benefits outweigh the deficiencies of Endo being in, and I think the the. The, I think the real crux of this has to do with how much he loves Sobosai and the fact that we cannot move Sobosai out of there. And, and that's like, so it's it's a domino effect, right? If Sobosai locks in that spot, then you can't have McAllister, who I think is a better fit for that spot. If you can't move McAllister, then you don't have a six, a true six in there. And so we've just caused, we've had one problem kind of domino this across the team. I, I don't know. I suppose. I said this at one point. I genuinely am not sure they signed Sobosly. If you tell Jurgen Klopp you are getting Ryan Gravenberch by the end of this transfer window, I don't know that they signed this player. And people have clowned me on Facebook, and I've been yelled at in Discord about it. I honestly do believe that if you like, if they had just been able to do the business they could have done and wanted to do. They very well might have brought in McAllister, Caicedo, and Gravenberch and literally rebuilt the midfield that way. Because I think Klopp 
is absolutely enamored with Graven Birch. All the rumblings were that he was literally up there at like his highest of levels of player. He was Operate. in the Toshimi, yeah. Bellingham. He was one of the, I'm going to build around this player. And then he stole him on transfer deadline for 38 million or 40 million. I genuinely don't believe that that's what's going to happen. And I understand everyone can say this stuff. Everyone loves this. Like, oh, he's our best signing. This one's our best signing. The truth of the matter is, is it isn't our best signing unless it's actually performing on the pitch. And like the manager has made it very, very clear where he sees these players and their best use. I'm not the manager by any means, but I will say this. This has been a roller coaster for all the players in that midfield. The only reason we're all so positive about it is it is better than the train wreck we watched for the last two years at that position because we did nothing and we just watched it. Get and pulled. to be fair, to be fair, we're, we're excited seen, about the mistakes. To be fair, we've seen what their what their best looks like and it's phenomenal, right? Yeah. And they're they're all young. So, I mean, there's plenty to be optimistic about. So, like, we're not sitting here bagging on it. But, that, like, I, I think we uniformly agree that there isn't a problem. And I think if you're honest with yourself as a listener and you look at what you've seen over the past, like, six, seven weeks, it's it's clear that there, this team does have issues. That all kind of funnel back to Trent, right? But, it's, but what we're seeing is that there's a lot of spokes to this wheel, and it ain't all Trent. And I think, you know, it hasn't taken shape yet. I mean, I think it's we're not going to know the master plan or the final format of this until probably next summer. I feel like we're kind of like going into the kitchen as somebody is cooking, tasting one of the sauces. I mean, like, me, I don't know, because, you know, without knowing the full thing at yeah. the end. And I don't think we're I don't think it's going to be January. We're probably not going to know that what the final look is going to be until we kind of start next season, obviously barring injuries and stuff like that. Because I think based on what we do next summer and who plays where is going to change along with, like I say, we might see trends and the formation and stuff like that. I don't know if the formation itself will change, but in terms of how we apply it and how we play it will definitely change. Uh, let's hit a few topics real quick. Ali being out, I know, especially like this Thursday, obviously, we're going to do a bunch of uh, location. Uh, and also, still missing some spices like Tiago. Uh, you know what, dude? That's on that spice is on back order. That is so you better, you yeah. better open the closet and find something else. Yeah. It's like coriander. That thing is just that is that is evaporated like uh, like dried up parsley. That is just some oregano, catnip. That is spices that nobody needs. And that's the thing. We'll find out basically what's going to happen. But let's talk about this week real quick. Thursday game, uh, Bickler. Obviously, there's going to be a rotation. Now with Ali being out, and that's going to be painful. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it over the next few weeks. Uh, but do you rest Kelleher as well? Or do you kind of like get him more playing time this Thursday instead? No, I'm putting it in every match because I don't like what are you gonna do? Put Adrian in? I mean I guess we can even put Edge in and it would be the young kids. Uh, yeah, he's I'm, not even on the European squad. Yeah, Adrian is not because otherwise we were gonna put Adrian on there. But. Right. No, no, I think you're getting him in immediately and trying to get some rhythm established with him. Not only for, for him as a player, but for that back line, just to get accustomed to his voice That's and fair. the way he dictates play. And it's like 
Yeah, I mean, a goalkeeper a little bit is like a quarterback back there where there's just a lot of vocalization across the board with the center backs that go back and forth. So I'm getting him right up, right, in, right away. How about you? Because uh, I guess the flip side of that, while I agree with what Bickler is saying in terms of like what would bring an injury in a game like this, I mean, we go back to the Jota thing, right? Uh, and an injury in a game like this could be really costly in the Premier League because the talk is anywhere from like four to six weeks. I guess the positive, at least on paper, is the schedule is not as tough right now for Toulouse Alley. But I would argue that Alley is like a game winner, like literally a game winner in the goalie position. And we're going to miss him a lot. Any game we won, I can give you a an instance while things were zero zero where he kept us in the balance. But would you be concerned about an injury and save Carolina for the Fulham game? Or would you get him out there like Bickler is saying to get some playing time? I, I think he has to play because not only is he going to be asked to play big minutes that he hasn't played in a long time, he hasn't played overly well when asked to play recently. Mm -hmm. He has not looked good or assured in either the League Cup matches or the Europa League matches. Um, I know there's been talk about his positioning and where he's at and why, and maybe some of the mental stuff because he didn't get the move he wanted a couple of years ago. Um, I, I, I think you got to play him and, and you, you got to hope that you ride him high. And, and please, if you do ride him high and he gives you a good eight weeks, can you line up the goddamn sale and get him <laughs> out the door in the summer? Because if the other guy hasn't taught us anything, it's, hey, I got an idea. Don't try to clear balls for no reason in the 89th minute with the outside of your boot on your left foot cutting across the ball because it, 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 as soon as he kicked it, you could see that there was a problem. And they're like, oh, it's just a muscle cramp. That's when you know that you are a fanboy yeah. of fanboys, right? I was trying to convince myself, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Who are you talking to, stupid? You're sitting in a basement by yourself in Western Massachusetts talking like you're a doctor on TV. Like, oh, no, it's okay. It was just a twinge. I think he's okay. That dude went down and was holding his leg. It was a clear hamstring, and it was done because he tried a, a, a ridiculous clearance for no reason. That wasn't even needed because, to be fair, he kicked the ball directly to the opponent. Yeah, see, I would like, I hate to toot my own horn, but my home uh, degree that I've done over here, I call the hamstring issue. And the timeline right away, despite boys in the Discord channel saying two to four days, which I have not heard of a hamstring injury that takes two to four days. Uh, but yes, yeah, that was a good one. I did call it. Uh, so if you guys have any concerns, just send in. I'll give you my medical professional advice. Thursday, what do you expect to see Bickler? Give us a glimpse of the lineup real quick. And God, I, I know that, that's why I only said a glimpse because kind of like, really tricky to figure this one out. I have no idea. I, I think I think we see Joey in here at some point. I would it makes sense for Gomez to make a start. I I, I my fingers crossed he's starting at right back because that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that we don't see Gravenberch starting because I want to see Gravenberch start getting regular first team minutes. So I'm hoping that we see Jones here. I think if, if it were me, I would put Jones immediately back in and try to yeah. get that out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Like I want, I want him to like, I don't want him sitting on the bench with that being his last performance. 
I want him back out there and I want him to get like lose that memory. Um, so I have Jones in there. Uh, I would put Endo in, but I'd also play him like regularly, which we're not doing. Um, so I've got, let's see. And, and I think this is a good spot for Harvey. So uh, I got Jones, Endo, Harvey. Um, think Mo will play, even though I don't want him to, he'll play. Um, I'm probably putting Darwin out here, but that's because, well, shit. No Jutta, obviously. So you would think based yeah, on I mean, if Diaz, you go by the minutes played, you can put Diaz on left. Uh, I think Gakpo Diaz Gakpo. I think Diaz Gakpo start. If you're gonna start Mo, you could do that and hope you get your goals early and then yeah. go to Doak or there's been talk like Kai Gordon's really playing really well in training and getting back up to match fitness and might make a bench. The Scanlon kid, they're saying like Klopp's in love with him, like the nineteen year old striker. Um, that he might be in line to get some minutes here. I think he goes a little strong up front and a little strong at the back, and he goes with that midfield that Paul said. I, I do think the midfield ends up being Elliot Jones and Endo, um, and I think it's with an eye on it being Gravenberg, McAllister, Sobosly for Fulham on the weekend. Mm-hmm. I have no clue, but this is an important one. we got to go get these three points so we can put the last – round of this thing to bed and not have to anything right. to play for. So when it gets even tighter in December. So I think we're in good shape here. The real big one is, is who starts at the back, probably Matip and Kanate and Gomez on the right, maybe Chambers on the left. I, I think you got to give Simicast a break. The guy literally hasn't yeah. been asked to play this many minutes in his whole Liverpool career. He played him in the last month. Yeah. You're asking for a soft tissue tissue issue. If you just continue to march him out every Every game, especially we're going to play like six matches in two weeks here. Yeah. Like, right. And I think, I think Brian was saying it like overall, like you look at the week and we are finally using all our subs and maybe, you know, we kept criticizing Klopp in the past, right? The last two, three years about not using the subs and waited till 80 and stuff like that. Maybe he just wanted some quality depth before he started throwing people out there and he does have it. Now you know he just didn't love the bench. Yeah, right? No, I mean, that's, I was thinking that. I'm like, wait, this guy is pulling the trigger earlier and earlier now right. compared to the old club. So maybe he yep. was just looking at the sideline and be like, nope, what we got is better. And then just. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have a reason to bring James Milner to kick somebody yet. It's not that late. It isn't that late yet. I, you know, and maybe here, this might be one here, and I wouldn't hate this. If he ends up going with even like a Sobosly or – like one of his starting midfielders, maybe that has one eye on doing more of the four attackers from the start and playing Gakpo in the midfield. Cause I think he's starting to fall for that because he sees what Gakpo offers playing off of like behind Mo. I mean, he was really good on the right-hand side. Really good. Against yeah. City playing with Really Darwin. good. And I'm, I'm not, I was, I've always been against him in the midfield, but he was really good. Yeah, he was. He was really good, and I think that's starting to come along. And I think, you know, Gakpo has got two goals and no assists in all of the Premier League this year. Like, it hasn't been a big year of underlying numbers for him. But I think as his performance has improved, you do see the value he brings. And maybe with an eye on Fulham at home, that's the type of team you can start the four attackers. It's a little different when Jota's hurt because uh, it gives you less ways to change things from the bench. But I, 
I could see maybe that being it. If Gakpo doesn't start, I could see maybe it on the lines of starting the four attackers. So I do feel like we're going to see a little bit more of that as the season goes on at times, especially against those teams that want to set up low against us the way that a team like Fulham has to. I mean, yeah, having that quality depth to be able to do that is like the, the best. Mm. Real quick, score prediction. Victor, go. Uh, 3-0. 3-0. Galley. I'm, I'm taking the Tamuchin special. I can't call for a clean sheet on a match where we got a backup keeper coming in and probably three-fourths of the backups on defense and who the hell knows at the six. So I'll go 3-1. Uh, I'll go. Shelton is going 3 0. I'm not even taking any of announced predictions seriously. I was gonna say, but he just stole my damn prediction at 4 1. Damn it. Uh, but he probably is predicting a Thiago hat trick. Uh, whereas I'm going with the 4 1 score without any Thiago involved. I thought in for sure you'd go with Kinsella there. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I, I still to this day can't imagine, like, because we didn't know Anon at the time. But could you imagine, like, Anon the morning of the Champions League final, like, just walking around his house, like, in his Tiago pajamas, like, with his speedy pajamas, and then getting into his Tiago jersey, and then getting all excited, and then sitting down on the couch, just like all of us, and being like, wow, the match is delayed an hour. And then being like, why is Tiago the only player for Liverpool that's sitting out on the field already, looking like he's crying and dejected? It's like, oh, wait, he's hurt in the biggest match for the club and won't be able to play. Oh, wait, yeah. He's Tiago. That's what he yeah, does. Yeah, he it is Tiago, sadly. But, yeah, I mean, hey, it would be a blessing right now. I, I would use him, that's for sure. But, yeah, he says he got injured and he cried. Yes, I would think so, too. But, hey, uh, don't forget, as always, uh, to uh, let's play this. He says it all. Like and subscribe. Smash that like button. Like and subscribe. Smash that like button. Says Bickler, and he uh. is pretty. Go ahead. I don't get paid nearly enough. Sorry. <laughs> like and subscribe. Hey, Smash that like button. I will say this. It is so much better without the visual. Because when we had a sleeveless Bickler asking us to like and subscribe, I almost felt like we might end up on like one of those watch lists and not the type of watch list that you want to be on on YouTube, right? Like not one that a hashtag put you on. One that like somewhere you have to register puts you on. Yeah, it was my <laughs> fat Pat McAfee vibe. Okay, sorry. Like I like, but hey, if you're listening to us as a podcast, thank you as always for your support. But make sure to head on over to the YouTube channel and give us a subscribe there as well. Smash that like button. A lot more coming your way from American Scouser. There's a lot happening this holiday season. But uh, by the way, I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. I even forgot to. Uh, covered that because I knew we had a lot to talk about and we have gone way over our regular time. So, um, but yes, thanks to always to you guys, all those following, liking, commenting throughout the show. We'll see you guys next Monday. Have an awesome week, everybody. Take care.